see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. It's Spit, the Spit Podcast. We are talking to you from Southern California, and uh, David Lee Scales and Scott Bass here with you. Uh, it's Wednesday. It is April fourteenth, and uh, my question to you, David, is: Have you ever done this show without me? And if so, what was the Yeah Guy intro like? And if not, what would the intro be like? There give give no me your set. best Yeah Guy. Yeah, guy. There's no such thing as spit without Scott guy. That's the problem. That is a problem. Um, well, so yeah. no, I have not. But you, if if listeners have been around long enough, this would be a fantastic trivia question for longtime listeners. Yeah, you did an episode of this show before yeah. I became. I mean, you had other versions of this show um, before I came along with a few different co-hosts. But you, since you and I started doing this. You replaced me one week with none other than Ashton Goggins. Really? Yeah. You don't remember that? I, I I vaguely do. I think we did it at Surfer Magazine. He was working there and I went into, yeah. Did I you? I, I thought it was at, I wasn't there, but I just presumed it was at Shack because that's where we were recording. Um, Maybe. Maybe we did yeah. one at Shack too. I do think you're right though. He was at Surfer uh, as a job at the time. Yeah. Do you remember Surfer, by the way? That's another trivia question. <laughs> Do I? Of course. Of course, I there was a, there was a magazine at one time called Surfer Magazine. Yeah, it, I worked there for ten years. It was an incredible run. I actually, in the new Surfer's Journal, Steve Pesman did a little sort of like an obituary type of um, sort of like a requiem, if you will, for Surfer Magazine and his take on it, and uh, it was good. It was Pesman good. I was. The new I Surfer's the Journal, I'm a big fan of the Surfer's Journal. As you know, I've, I've re-upped my subscription and I, I read some stuff. Scott Hewlett wrote a great piece on the prison island off of Puerto Vallarta where there's some good waves and um, the difficulties in, in actually getting to those waves and the, the politics and the bureaucracy and the uh, military issues that go into... Uh, getting out to those islands and surfing or the island and surfing it. So, but anyway, the new surfers, Journal. by the way, Scott Hewlett phrased the best. Yeah. Cool. Look yeah, at look this. At here. I've got look the whole here. collection right here. Um, oh, I love that issue. Is that Dino Adrian on the cover? Dude, you are a fanboy. If you know who the cover guy is, I have no idea. Who I think is. it is Dino Adrian on the cover. I love this new cover though of the new mag. Um, yeah. And what were you going to say about Scott Hewlett? Oh, so he, in his article, he wrote uh, a sentence that included the phrase bliss ninny, a two-word combination that I don't, that I think is perhaps the greatest two-word combination ever in the history of human language. So is it in the dictionary or did he make it up? Well, it's two words. Well, no, it's just oh, bl okay, bliss gotcha, and gotcha. ninny. He was basically, I should probably pull it out and try to read it. I think I have it right here. I'll read the sentence and see if you can get it. I this can, I the, can. This cover. Is oh, that's sick. That one's that's, so sick. 
Yeah, that's the new one. And I read the Sam Hawk thing. It was really well done. Um, okay, here we go. Here's the sentence that I think is wonderful. I can cut the dead air if you need to look for it. So he's talking about the islands, Scott Hewlett, and I quote Scott here. Had the Maria's been at risk from truck driving hominids from SoCal or Cape Town or Brisbane, it would have been overrun immediately by surf schools, yoga touts, bliss ninnies, and real estate slingers. <laughs> Solid. I know how, how true that is, Mr. Hewlett. Um, so, so people who are just on like a bliss sojourn down there doing yoga or whatever. Yeah, it's like, yeah, a bliss knee, I think, is just somebody that's like <laughs> just probably so unconnected to the real world that he's just on a, um, a search for bliss. You know, he, he's yeah. like on a search for bliss. I actually sent Hewlett a, a text yesterday. I, I just think I said something like, look, um, I want it to be known that. I am a bliss ninny. There, I said it. <laughs> um, so is Hewlett living in Mexico now? I have no idea. I just sent him a text. I haven't communicated with him in a long time. It and, seems uh, if he's not living down there full time, he is definitely has a love affair with the country. He was down there, um, but I probably shouldn't be giving up where his location is. All right, scratch that, edit. Uh, you want to see another print publication that I am a huge fan of? Do you get this, Scott? SW, no. SW. Is that Probably the one, one Doherty of... took over? Yeah, exactly, Surfing World. One of the very few copies that's in the US right now. That's um, a very interesting, the storyline behind that. Like, what's the over under on how many issues per year and... How long will that labor of love be um, a part of his activity? I mean, that's quite an undertaking because I don't think there's any revenue in it. There's revenue in it for sure. I don't know how profitable it is, but yeah. they've, they've, I mean, they've got, it's chock full of advertisers, um, mostly surf brands. And I know, cause I talked to him about it. A lot yeah. of the brands did step up when, you know, that news broke about the transition and him taking over and revamping yeah. and, well, I mean, if uh, you're going to put your money, support it. yeah, I was going to say, if you're going to put your money behind a print, uh, surf, uh, you know, commercial, uh, uh, product, I think anything that Sean Doherty has got his name on is going to be pretty damn good. Well, and the fact that it's been there since 1962. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is you, you can get advertisers for it it's they're not going to spend $10,000 for a spread anymore like they did once upon a time. So it's a totally different business now. Yeah. And while there is revenue, I think to your point is it's not going to be the amount of work involved. It will always be a passion project. There's not enough revenue um, to translate to a significant profit. But I, the reason why I have this in my hand is I wanted Sean to send me um a bunch of copies so that we can sell them through the website as part of our merch offering. And so Andrew Kidman did with his acetone magazine, which I should send to you. I'll ship a copy. I got some, I actually bought, I, I actually went onto oh, okay. their website and I sent him an email and I said, Hey, I want to support this. So 
I bought two or three copies of it just because okay. you know, I wanted to give them, wanted to support it. I didn't want anything for free. And that's the thing. We don't want, um, it's also just a lot of shipping, obviously, to get it from Australia to here. So I just figured if they could send bulk copies over and I won't even charge for them, I just charged the uh, amount of shipping to cover the cost of it. Yeah. And uh, so, but I got it, but Sean only sent me one copy and he said he'll figure out the bulk shipment thing later. So hopefully we can get that sorted and we can start distributing Surfing World to US. And the thing is not, it's not like everybody wants it, but there is this core devoted fan who doesn't want to pay $20 per issue in shipping, you know, when they could pay three or four. Yeah, I, I could see, you know, being able to distribute that too to places like Mollusk and yeah. like the Bing Surfer, probably all the, even, even the Hansons and Surf Rides of the world would probably pay upfront out of pocket to just have that on their shelf because it's a pretty it, cool look. And it's, it's a resetting. The, yeah, it's like, exactly. It's like how it was back when I was growing up or when you were growing up where you like, you figured out which day those magazines were going to drop and you made a special trip down to the shop to grab them because they were going to disappear, you know? Yeah, there, there's something to be said for the scarcity, you know, that sure. you can only go to malls and get them. They just get shipped through David. You're, you know, David's not making a dime. He's just doing a goodwill here. And, um, and I think that's pretty cool. It's kind of got a the, Surfer's Journal vibe, right? Isn't it like a quarterly? Or uh, it, yeah, I think they turned it into quarterly. It's kind yeah. of fluctuated over the years, but um, it's fantastic. Like the imagery in it is fantastic and the writing obviously as well. Um, yeah. So there is, there is a Save Our Coast. Oh, that's the other thing is he's donating a lot of the advertising space to, um, you know, nonprofits and just kind of activist causes. So there's an actual full page here of saveourcoast.com.au presented by Need Essentials. So Need uh -huh. Essentials underwrote this activist, you know, activism um, Save Our Coast campaign. So cool stuff like that. Um, another thing that is relevant to this week is the California Gold Surf Auction, Scott. Absolutely, dude. Um, yeah, I just called you dude. That felt weird. Um, this Friday in two days, uh, a little more than 48 hours, Friday, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the lots begin closing. They close in a staggered uh, function every two minutes. And, um, and we've got some crazy bids on some cool boards. And the, um, the vintage surfboard as an investment asset is a great move. And it's obvious by um, all the play we're getting. But there's still some great deals available. I think things are going to heat up Friday at 5 p.m. There's people on the sidelines waiting to start throwing down bids. Um, we have, uh, it's going to be a hot and exciting Friday afternoon. Um, so here. How, many, how many boards total? Well, there are 51 lots. Okay. Uh, most of those are surfboards, but they're actually, speaking of the Surfer's Journal, I have volumes one through nine in their entirety um, that are uh, that are an, an auction lot. And we've got these really cool, which I think are really cool, these mini Waikiki Rotary Club surfboards that they gave out every year at the Rotary Club. Wow. Dating back from the 50s and 60s, just these small little Rotary Club surfboard collection, which is kind of a neat little bit of ephemera and um and i think the rest of it is is surfboards okay as my, yeah so and what can you give me a range of what the kind of lower bids are versus the highest yeah there there's there's um 
you know, bids as low as $500 right now on boards. Um, there's quite a few boards in the $1,200 range. I anticipate that those are all going to move pretty quickly. Um, and then, you know, we've got boards, uh, $15,000, $20,000 right wow. now, which are going to, you know, who knows what's going to happen with those. But um, we've got some incredible, like culturally significant, historic surfboards. The, the George Greeno um, carbon fiber edge board is, is just a, uh, it's, you know, it's Smithsonian quality, you know, talk about scarcity, you know, how many carbon fiber edge boards that we have proof that this was George personal, George's personal board. You know, I have yeah. pictures of him building the board. I have pictures wow. of him standing with the board, all of the Greeno sort of, um, I don't know, connoisseurs, I guess, if you would um, have acknowledged that this is the real deal. This is a Holy grail. So it's, it's quite an, a great investment and, um, I'm looking forward, and I think the Vintage Surfboard community is looking forward to this auction Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's amazing. Um, the You're talking about it as an investment. You know why the wealthiest people pay obscene amounts of money for artwork is because it's the safest investment, like bar none, like above real estate, above anything. Uh, that level of the art market when you're talking about Van Gogh and like, you know, stuff that's selling for tens of millions of dollars yeah. has tracked historically like to grow by multiples. And yeah. I think that, in, and it's interesting to actually look into the psychology of it because it's almost like the people want to pay a premium for it because it encourages the next round of wealthy people to pay a premium for it. There's kind of this agreed upon, but but the reality is it's also- uh, non-fungible. Non yeah, it's non-fungible. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's scarce. You know, there's obviously nobody, he only made this number of paintings and there's not going to be any more. And ultimately there is a real parallel there with exactly what you're doing. With yeah. guys like Greeno, it's like his cultural relevance is undeniable and will never change. And then he only made a certain amount of boards or ha will have only made a certain amount of boards. And this is one from that era, which non-fungible. Yeah. And he's got this sort of like, you know, I mean, just everyone knows about Greeno. He sort of has this air of um, salty mad scientist about him and this sort of like um, a very kind of an artistic sort of aesthetic, if you will, kind of like, I don't even care about all that stuff. Like he's just kind of super hyper-focused on the performance of his equipment and the fact that his stuff is going for lots of money, almost kind of like, I don't, I can't speak for him, but I think he's probably like, whatever, you know, you know, um, he definitely I, doesn't, I, I don't think he cares. No, but, but I mean, he kind of has like this Van Gogh, like there's this certain sort of a little bit off center, um, unique character uh, about the board, you know, that, that kind of weighs into the value, you know, it, for it's sure. interesting, uh, you know, undeniably. Yeah. Um, his, yeah, his kind of persona, certainly affects the culturals, the culture's um, perception of him without a doubt, aside from just his actual contributions. Um, a listener sent me, I don't know if you even know this, a listener sent me a link to like, it's pretty obscure reference, but they figured out that he's related to a family that owns a winery, a really well-known winery in California. Yeah. Sebastiani, I think maybe it was, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a winery I know, and I know Greeno, but I didn't know there was a connection there. 
Well, there's a lot of money there. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Greeno, it's it's widely known, I believe. And again, I can't speak for him. I don't know. I don't want to be like the the guy that gets the angry email that. But you know, um, I think conventional wisdom is that he's just he's been able to do all of the things he does because he's never had to work. Of course, yeah, yeah. It's from Montecito. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that says it all. Yeah. Um, it's where the Royals live and Oprah Winfrey. Um, so I mean, she's not a royal, <laughs> right? American. Do you mean royalty. the? Do you mean Meghan Markle lives in Montecito? Yeah, Meghan and Harry. Oh, I did, oh that's where they live, Montecito. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, in regards to the California Gold Surf Auction, I feel like it has been in the news more this week than it's ever been in the news prior, and maybe ever will again, because um, a clothing company based out of Silver Lake in conjunction with an Instagram account, C-List Boards, are working together to build a GoFundMe to buy a surfboard from your auction. And I'm gonna read a quote uh, as to why they are doing this. Let me see. Yeah, I saw this. They said... Um, They're crowdfunding. The equipment is worth writing rather than gathering dust <laughs> hanging <laughs> hanging in the nooses uh, while surf shops sell rows of pop-outs. This is a jailbreak coup. So they're saying the idea of the board going to a collector that ends up hanging on a wall, they can't stomach. So they're gonna come up with 10K, which is gonna be funny is if they get outbid at like $10,100 by somebody who will put it as a wall hanger. Yeah. But but they're staging a coup and then they're going to anybody, I think anybody who donates on the GoFundMe over a certain dollar amount, I think a hundred bucks or something yeah. gets to write it at Malibu. <laughs> you, they're all going to meet at the beach. You got to bring proof that you contributed and then you get to paddle the board out and catch a wave on it, which I think is kind of an amazing concept. Well, what's interesting to me is like, which of those boards would I ride? Cause I have intimate, uh, knowledge and almost a relationship with all these boards because i have them wow, all in my possession <laughs> so yeah so i sleep with these boards no but the one so if you were to bid and buy a board and win a board at the auction and then ride it the one that intrigues me the most is that there's an all purple board it's at by hansen it's called the master and it's insanely blady and thin and um and it looks like it would be a really good rider, especially at a spot like First Point Malibu. It, it, this board, to me, this board, there's two guys that I think should own this board. Um, one of them is Ryan Birch. You know, he worked at Hanson's. He grew up in Cardiff. He still, they carry his boards. He has a relationship with Hanson's surf shop. This board reeks of Ryan Birch just absolutely ripping on this board. Um, the other one is his good friend, Eric. Um, his last name's, I can't believe I'm missing his last Snortum? name. Right yeah, Snortum. So Eric and Ryan are best buddies. They have been since, you know, I don't know, first grade or whatever. And those two goofy foots are just incredible. Encinitas sort of Cardiff. Um, at this point, I mean, I would suggest to you that they're almost legendary. They're, they're just such great surfers and they're great human beings. Both of those guys, and I actually told, called, I talked to Snortum on the phone. I go, dude, this board's got you written all over it. Like, it would be really cool if they bought this board and wrote it and did like some edit content on it, however. But anyway, that board looks like a rider to me. Like, 
I know that the C-list guys and the Innocence uh, clothing label is looking at a black to cat, which is a cool board, unreal board, you know. Um, but there's some boards that I think they could actually get, you know, like with the money that they raise. I don't know if they'll be able to get the black cat. That might go right, for a little bit right. more. But um, that's one of them. And then there's a Maury Pope um, green machine that might be a cool one too. What do you uh, what do you think the percentage is of bo- people that win the auction boards that ride them versus don't ride them? Uh, I would suggest to you that 99.9% do not ride them. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had people buy boards and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have my local guy just copy this, for you know, sure. have him build it so I can ride it and get a vibe for it. But I'll have the original, you know, because, yeah. you know, you don't want to, you don't want to beat it up. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you've officially made the big time. Oh, how so? What do you mean? California Gold Surf Auction. If you have people rallying and there's news stories being written about it, rallying to get involved in the auction, I think that validates the auction itself. Yeah, th- that's not me. That's the auction and the boards and the stories behind the auction and the boards. I, you know, that's um, the big time is the actual items. You know, the auction yeah. house isn't the big deal here. It's the, yeah. the quality of the stuff that's up for under the gavel. Well, it's a tribute to your uh, collecting of all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> take, take the compliment. Um, Thank you. Hey, I forgot to mention last week, but we launched uh, our merch store, our Spit Podcast T-shirts yes. are yes. available on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash shop. We have a shopping cart set up and uh, stickers, Acetone Magazine, uh, Spit Podcast Tees. It's a knockoff of the uh, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High logo. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm a big fan of that one. As I looked through the merch, all the other merch I would buy before I would buy the Spit Podcast t-shirt. <laughs> I am insulted. All right, I got a second just, one. I got a second yeah. one coming. I'll send it to you after the fact. Yeah, I can't yeah. announce it until it gets launched, but there's a new one coming. That you're and by the announce. way, I don't mean to diss the artist who did a great job, you know, but um, I'm not so sure uh, Spicoli is the image that we want for our show <laughs> it's too late dude i think i think the logo was selected off of eight years of listening to our show <laughs> it wasn't just like uh, a random selection by the way i saw that I sean penn was accurate oh did you so which one of us is spicoli <laughs> we went know. through this already you're spicoli and anyway um i saw sean penn was on jimmy fallon and he was discussing his role as, as uh Spicoli. I don't, really? I don't know more than that, but you know, you could do a deep dive and find his clip on Fallon recently. recently. I would like to see it. I'm interested yeah. in Sean Penn. I am too. And I'm, you know, he's an interesting, he's a very smart guy. And, um, and I'm sure that the clip is pretty good. What about uh, his involvement? Remember the news story? He was involved in getting El Chapo. Um... <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden uh, he's like a department of Homeland security official. I mean, I forget the details of that story. There was now. a chick. There was some chick involved, like some super famous Mexican actress chick yeah. was on like some sort of soap opera down there. And somehow or another, they were friends. 
and she was friends with Chapo and she hooked up Sean Penn with Chapo. And I think she did Sean Penn fly down there and interview Chapo or something. I or? think it, yeah, it was like brokered through Esquire magazine, maybe like they hired Sean Penn to go do the interview. And then the FBI got involved and they're like, all right, well, once you find his, where he's located or whatever. And he was integral. Sean Penn was integral to getting El Chapo um, arrested. Arrested. Yeah. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that was, I thought he was like, like, you know, like Chapo's like Che Guevara and he should be held with some sort of sovereignty down there and let's just go no. interview him and no, no, I don't know. No, 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 he no. was undercover FBI Sean Penn well again I guess I, I don't remember all the details but it was either he knew the FBI was using him that way or he ultimately was a pawn that they tracked you know I, I think so that's I don't, the I don't story. know his level of complacency in it I think that's the story at least that's the story he needs to put out there I don't know what do you mean I don't know <laughs> yeah all right well hey uh since we last met the newcastle cup ran and completed yeah in a did. sequence of days like a sequence of pretty exciting days actually i agree um, and, and right around the corner we have the next event is starting on friday australian so tomorrow in our yeah time. tomorrow afternoon yeah but let's let's do the newcastle cup um yeah it finished in relatively in good waves. We'll just call them good waves. Do you yeah. and I owe listeners an apology and all the good people of Newcastle an apology for saying that it was going to be crappy for the last couple of months? I think we do. And I think we owe the WSL an apology. Right. Um, I think let's, we do. Let's deliver it. I am sorry. You know what? I too am sorry. And um, our cynicism was, uh, it bore out not to, to be unfounded. Look, it was accurate. It was, uh, <laughs> here comes the worst apology in the world. Okay. Our cynicism. There's a caveat to your apology. <laughs> Here's our apology, but. <laughs> However. Um, yeah, the, so the reality is uh, it wasn't, we're not being cynical for the sake of being cynical. We're looking at Newcastle versus G-Land on the schedule. And so that's what we're making the comparison to. And yes, Newcastle ended in a good run of swell and good conditions. It's still not G-Land. It's still not Cloudbreak. And so I do, and I should also say, whenever we have denigrated Newcastle, it's not defaming the county. It's not defaming all the good people. And I would love to live there and surf there. I, I surf those... That's the style of waves that I generally surf and thrive in. Um, I'm not going to thrive at G-Land. So this isn't making fun. People, don't be so sensitive. We're not making fun of Newcastle in any way. We're just saying we want to see Jack Robinson and Idolo at cloud break, not at Newcastle. And even in the conditions that they did finish in, it's, it's not on par with cloud break period, bar none, full stop. And yes, Cloudbreak can have crappy days as well. And we end up running there sometimes when it's not great, but we'll still roll those dice instead of Newcastle. There's my apology. Yeah, I mean, that was well done. That was a well-placed apology. And, um, you know, to me, the story is not so much the waves, but frankly, the Brazilians. Oh my I mean, the, the surfing that those guys did created incredible content and it created a sense of i can't wait for idolo's heat and even mm -hmm. though i have to get through you know some other heats that maybe you know aren't that great there was um i mean i think i feel like we're at this place where like let's all bow down to idolo and gabe and just go oh my god you know these guys can carry this tour uh as far as the excitement level 
like it, it seems like there is no um especially Idolo, but gabe is just a tactician with his incredible explosiveness Idolo is just like a grom out there but anyway my point is the reason that i found this event um engaging was the the assault that those guys did and and the fact that they didn't let us down that they didn't go ace bucking on us that they just blew up <laughs> Sorry, ace, ace. Ace i love has, it <laughs> he has become the um uh, what's the right word <laughs> He's like he's, the icon of whenever we want to talk about boring surfing, and it's so not really fair to Ace. Who's the tall? Who's the tall ginger Aussie regular foot that forever? That, regular foot? Um, yeah, he's he's retired now from um, Stratty Island. Oh, um, Bead. Yeah, Bead. Like, like Ace is the new Bead, or Frederica Marias is the new Bead. You know, like yeah, okay, he can rip off the tops with a tall, lanky style, but. He's, I know he's not eating a loaf. He's not it's Gabe like, Medina. He's not John John Florence. He's Ace, not even these other guys. He's not Felipe. I mean, Ace Ace fits like he is the right guy for us to use for that example. But it doesn't us doing that doesn't at all represent how I actually feel about Ace. Because when I watch I Ace surf, I'm so impressed, and I'm like, holy cow! I I got to remember to put Ace on my team. He's incredible. But he still fills exactly what we're talking about, which is the antithesis of exciting. It's, yeah. it's like his surfing quality is undeniable and he will make heats yeah. due to it. It's just, uh, it's undeniable when you watch him surf a wave. It's just not, you know exactly what he's going to do ultimately is what yeah. it comes down to. Exactly. Uh, where, whereas to your point, I fully agree. Like those Gabriel, beyond Gabriel and Idolo, there was David Silva in this event who exactly. I didn't see coming. There yeah. was Felipe Toledo who I did see coming, but, um, you know, delivered on the goods. And of course the Kiowa belly story we're watching for a different reason. There's those, the Brazilian contingent is undeniable. America has not had it in a very long time, decades aside from Kelly Slater himself yeah. and Australia even has fallen kind of by the wayside. And they have wow. all these guys stepping up that you think are going to be the guy Ethan Ewing or Connor O'Leary when he, you know, came on hot, but then they just don't coalesce into an actual uh, patriotic kind of movement. Well, Morgan Sibillic was awesome. Right. I mean, that was, I mean, uh, you know, he was heads above heads and shoulders above the other Australians, in my opinion. Um, that was a great storyline and he lived up to everything. So interesting, local guy, this is a phenomenal story, local guy in his second ever CT event and really came out of nowhere in the last two years, not only for you and I as Americans, but for Mick Fanning himself. Mick Fanning, who's <laughs> the most visible Australian surfer and on the same exact team as Morgan, said that he didn't know who Morgan was prior to the uh, postcards for Morgs film that they wanted to make. And they presented the idea to Mick and Mick was like, who's Morgan? But okay, like I'm down. <laughs> so he does it and it turns out he's blown away by Morgan too. And so Morgan, I don't know if Morgan's talent developed late and fast or if somehow he, there's just so much white noise that he's exactly. under the radar. I think that's what it is, yeah. Well, so I have a question for you about that is yeah. 
we there tends to be a law of diminishing returns with some styles of surfing. Yeah. And so when Jadson Andre came on tour doing the same exact air rotation over and over and won over Kelly Slater in the final in 2010 in Brazil, every time he did the same exact air, but it would get nines until it just gets, we get so used to it that we expect it. And now that same exact air gets a three from him. It'd get yeah. a, it'd get a 10 if um, Wade Carmichael did it, but <laughs> But if, but, but if Jadson does it, it gets a three. And I think we've seen Felipe Toledo that happen to where if he, you know. I almost feel like Yago Dora is going to fall into this trap too. Yeah. And he, and the other problem with Yago is he falls somewhere below the other guys we just named. And so it's going to be hard for him to kind of rise above that. Yeah. But I could see, I'm wondering if Morgan Sibillic's scores were reflective of the fact that we did not know who he was. We don't know what to expect from him. He's a rookie. It's his second event no. ever. He's a local boy. And so there's an extra zing that comes There might have it. been, but I would suggest that could very well be, right? This, this, it kind of falls under that scarcity. We're like, who's he? We've all seen Jadson and Julian a million times. Yeah. But, you know, there's like a scarcity vibe. Like, oh, and maybe scarcity is not the right word, but there's this fresh guy. And I Fresh. would suggest to you that he looks like a sparky Julian Wilson, just totally. extra, extra sparky Julian. Even his great, even call. his mug. Great call. He just looks like a young Julian Wilson with a ton of spark, you know, but Man, in regards remember, to like, yeah, go ahead. We were Nat Young came on tour and you mean Ace uh, Bucken? exactly what well, we were saying. Ace Bucken 2.0. That's exactly what we said. You should and just I'm, call him Ace Young. <laughs> or Nat Bucken. And now, Who, by the got, way, I love Nat Buckin and I love Ace Young. Those guys, you know, but that's, you know, you, we've already we, made our point about them. Now we've got Morgan Wilson. <laughs> no, no. Morgan Sibilic stands alone right now. No, Morgan. Opinion. This is Julian Wilson 2.0. That's what you just said. Yeah, but he doesn't, he's not, he'll be Morgan Wilson when we're like, they're the same guy. Right now, in my opinion, right. Morgan Sibilic has still got some freshness. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with him at, at Narrabeen. I mean, he's got a tough heat too, by the way, his first round. Who's he got? Um, I, I it's, all right. it's all right. Uh, I had well, it somewhere, but. I but it doesn't on. matter. It doesn't matter who he has because he took down John John, you know, at like. I think he he's, has Mick Fanning and Idolo. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when I say that the Morgan Sibillic, there could be a lot of diminishing returns as we get used to seeing his surfing. I don't mean that to denigrate what we saw from him at all, because every uh, there was a I'd say three or four turns that he did that you could watch on repeat on slow mo and baffle like you're baffled at how amazing they are over and over and over again. I don't know if you remember that one where it was in the dumping shore break section and he just gets as critical as can be in the bottom sucking out like underneath below him. And he somehow makes that transition in the most critical, insane top part. And then that's sucking out. And then he leans back and makes the drop down that part. I mean, it was gnarly. Yeah. yeah and, and nobody else was doing it the other guys were dodging those sections or floating them and then giving up before they land. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. And, and, and it's, you know, right now, like we said, he, he's fresh and, you know, here's the thing about what we saw from Morgan and what we saw from the Brazilians is it looked like they were free surfing. When you watch Nate Bucken and Ace Young surf, it looks like they're surfing competitively. Right. You know what I mean? Like that backside, Ariel yeah, yeah. that Gabe Medina did 
that was just, you know, that wasn't like, okay, here goes Jadson. He's eyeing up a, you know, air reverse. This was yeah. like, whoa, where, 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 where did that come from? You well, know, Gabe, Gabe going left and doing that huge one on the left. Yeah. Those you are know. just spontaneous. And that's what Morgan was providing us a spontaneity of freshness. And it felt like free surfing. Yeah. And 100%. there's a lot of guys where you're like, Oh, he's planning out. It just looks too planned and too competitive. And, you know, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I don't think most surfers would have even looked at that left that Gabe went on because they are thinking competitively and they're not identifying a score in that left because nobody else has gotten a score on the left. And so that's exactly the type of excitement and also uh, works against that law of diminishing returns that I was talking about because judges haven't even seen anybody go left yet. And so when Gabe lines that up and does it and then does it bigger and gnarlier and lands it more clean than anything else we've seen, it's undeniable, you know? Yeah. It just shocks your system. You're just like, whoa. And yeah. So it was I a agree. great event. It was a great it, event for what, I well, mean, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I am saying it because it's the truth. Well, the last couple of days, the last yeah, exactly. day specifically, and maybe part of this, the last uh, penultimate day. But- Morgan Sibillic, for the record, made the semifinals. So it was a Gabe and Idolo final. Idolo won 14.94 over Gabe's 13.27, which, and it was a scrappy, scrappy heat. I think, um, well, let me just finish. Uh, Felipe yeah. and Morgan, Felipe and Morgan were the two semifinalists that lost in the semis, but we need to really unpack the Gabe and Idolo potential um, rivalry that's forming because they met. In the finals at Pipeline for a world title in 2019, Idolo beat Gabe. And this was kind of um, Gabe's chance to avenge that loss on a much smaller stage with less consequence. But really, you think that Gabe still has a real desire to avenge that loss. And to be honest, Idolo did exactly what he did at Pipeline. He stayed busy. He, he just kind of out, he beat Gabe at Gabe's own game. I agree. And, and, and you probably read the same thing I read on stab that it, it look, you and I have been talking about the Idolo gave a rivalry for a while. And it's, it's not like it's something that we just came up with. It's obvious in the way that they present themselves to the public that Gabe sort of got this, you know, like um, tempered sort of, uh, you know, um, prof almost nowadays, it's like a professional sort of talking points, especially in his interviews, he kind of just says the right things. And, and Idolo's this guy that everyone just wants, you know, he's like, you know, Uncle Idolo, you know, he's just like the guy that everyone wants to hang out. With. He's got this really kind of sparky, fun personality. So there's already contrast there. And so it's easy to see a rivalry brewing. There's already, to use this sort of trite, hackneyed thing, there's a black hat and a white hat here, you know, and, um, and it's great. And, and I think, I think that, well, I'll ask you, is the, Idolo Gabe rivalry bigger and more pronounced and more important than a Julian Gabe or a Julian, I mean, not Julian, uh, John John Gabe or a John John Idolo rivalry. Uh, it's hard to answer whether it's more important, but I do think it's more earnest Real. and sincere. Yeah. Because I couldn't, it, I can't think of John John feeling angry against exactly. another opponent. And there's elements of 
a sibling rivalry almost with Gabriel and Philippe or Gabriel and Idolo because they come from, they're both from Brazil. They both kind of came up through the junior ranks together. They've both, they're both goofy footers. They both have a lot of the same skill sets yes. in the water, you know, yeah. airs, barrels. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a more, I don't know, you can kind of, you can sense that there might've been already then yeah. viewing each other as a real foe and opponent coming up together i think it's but exciting i think it's exciting it's for, super exciting you know it, it's like I, I i'm all in on the gabe idolo rivalry i mean it's because it's so real it's it makes it really difficult for john john to like uh insert himself into this conversation to be honest like he's gonna have to come in and completely disrupt what they've got going on if he wants to vie for the spotlight you know i agree that's actually an interesting side note is that it almost there's there's almost like this Gabe and Idolo versus John John rivalry you know like yeah. those two versus Jim because John John it just seems a little vanilla it just seems a little it's just doesn't seem to have the spark of of the Gabe Idolo thing you know yeah completely agree um you, you said black hat white hat I know that's Gabe, almost Gabe, no, but Gabe's Gabe's hair is actually black and Idolo's is white. He's bleached it perfect, blonde, so Keep it actually it. fits perfectly. Yes, um, I love it. The other detail here that's worth noting is we tend to see a sophomore slump oftentimes, and it's not necessarily on a sophomore title. It often comes kind of in year five and six, but. Um, John John can win a title or two on sheer talent alone. And it's like back to the conversation about diminishing returns. It's all fresh. And there's a storyline that we're all invested in and excited in. But once you get used to it and Zeke Lau, among all of the um, his opponents working together to figure out the kink in John John's armor, Zeke Lau figures it out. And it's, I'm going to paddle circles around him and, intimidate him and it worked at bells and it worked so well that john john kind of fell off of his game for a period of time along with an injury and he had to regroup and part of that regrouping was formulating a competitive savvy that he didn't have that he never had to have before because he was so just preternaturally talented and we've seen gabriel do that gabriel comes along he wins too but then you have to reinvent yourself Kelly reinvented himself a couple of times, you know? And I'm wondering if that's going to happen with Idolo, where he's still riding that initial ascent. He's got the first world title. He might even get that second world title. But where does Idolo go from there? Uh, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. You do need to reinvent. And along the way, Morgan Sibillic comes on tour and starts winning heats. Maybe Jack Robinson starts winning heats too. So Idolo is going to have to assess that there. And Gabriel's already kind of now reinventing or he, or he's in that, that realm anyways. Well, I think you would agree with me that the, the catalyst for the reinvention it, are these two guys against each other. Maybe. I mean, Idolo yeah. has got Gabe going, okay, I actually need to train and do the, you know, and, and the same is true of the inverse. I think that Gabe's got Idolo going, oh shit, you know, I got to keep it up. And, and I think that that's going to occur with John John as it did with the Zeke Lau incident. John John had to reassess because of the competition, because of a situation that occurred. And that's what's so great about these rivalries is that the, in the end, they're obviously pushing each other to new heights. And it's not like, you know, for years, Kelly, Kelly was mailing in 
you know, heats and getting him world title. And he was totally. just bored. He just fell off. He's like, screw it. I got six. I mean, how many times do I got to do this? And then it took Andy to show up where, where now he's like, you know what? I'm going to get back on tour because I'm, I'm engaged again because I'm being pushed here. For sure. That's a perfect example of that reinvention. Andy requiring Kelly to be the best. Yeah. Um, so uh, Carissa Moore's air. What did you think of this? And what was the score? I think it was, it was nine, six. Yeah. Many are a nine, seven, maybe many are saying it should have been a 10. So that's the conversation. And what is your thought on the air itself and the not it not being a 10? Okay. Full disclosure. I haven't even seen it. What? Yeah. You haven't even seen the clip of it on Instagram or anything. No, I'm going to go watch it right now. (laughs) How did you avoid it? Oh, it was a nine, nine. You want to watch it on my phone? Yeah, sure. It was it was a nine nine. Well, you got to show it again, <laughs> and you got to put it up on the stat. Okay. Okay. Are you watching? Yeah, Carissa? I saw it. Okay, I saw it. I saw so it. So it's a single turn wave. So she yeah. it's a moderate wave to be honest. It's not her that tails, good of a wave. Her tail's high. She lands smoothly. She does nearly a full rotation, but it's a double grab. She lands kind of squatting and then rides out of it flawlessly, yeah. like uh, you know, not. She doesn't have to like stumble to her feet, yeah. but um, it's the best wave or the best air we've ever seen in women's surfing. Yeah. It's yeah. the best wave we've seen in women's surfing. Um, the question on the internet was, how is it not a 10? It was actually a 9.9 for the record. Yeah. I think it's not a 10 because there was just a slight moment there at the landing, mo- at the landing point where uh, it wasn't super fluid. There was just one little tiny little Pitch in the giddy up there that might be why um here's that might, that's my thought on it after seeing it three times just now on your phone peter king just a slight bobble a very teeny teeny bobble where the fins had grabbed and maybe hadn't flipped the nose around quick enough but okay that's fair but um we know so you're comparing that against idolo let's say. i agree look i'm not doubting so, that 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 but that's the, that's what the, the way that the judging works is each heat is scored against itself. Yes. Right. And so compared to the other waves surfed in that heat, and I was referencing um, that that's the best air we've ever seen in women's competition. The judges aren't even supposed to factor that in. They're just, I mean, based on their own rules, which is asinine, but based on their own rules, they're supposed to work within the box of this heat. What did surfer A do versus B do? And there's where the scale goes. And so you didn't watch that heat. So you, we'd have to look at the other waves in that heat, but based on that, that wave should have been a 10, whether or not she hitched on the giddy up <laughs> or whatever. Um, but let me read from Peter King's uh, comment on Instagram. Yeah, he said, it's, yeah. it's the easiest 10 ever. A 10 at the WSL event doesn't even mean quote, they squeezed every ounce of scoring potential out of the wave. Sorry, it ain't length of ride anymore. The judges are constantly begging the surfers to push it and do futuristic moves so far beyond what anyone else is doing. So here it is. Show me one comparable air on the women's tour and the score. Most of the judges got it right. I guess most of the judges gave it a 10. Two of them didn't. Um, So based on the the WSL's own criteria, it would seem that that would have been a 10. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I look, you can argue either way. I mean, I would just suggest to you that if, if everyone did, first of all, did you see the little bobble that I'm talking about? Yeah. 
Okay, so if you saw a bobble, then it's not perfect. Uh, correct. Isn't a, isn't a 10 a perfect ride? Yes. Okay, and you saw something that suggests to you that it wasn't perfect. Correct, yes. I, re I, re I rest my case. Fair enough. Um, the thing that I loved about it, I don't know if you saw it in the clip itself. Uh, Carissa, cried. yes, she is more excited <laughs> about it than... Like she's the only person in the world who didn't know that she could do that. You know, like we've all seen Carissa surf forever. And we're like, yeah, of course she could do a crazy air like that. Right. But she comes out of it shocked and like sincere. It wasn't a yeah. claim. Yeah. And the other, her opponent who is in the shoreline starts clapping for her. Like that was <laughs> incredible. It was like such the anti claim, you know, and I mean, by the way, that's a whole nother talking point. The claims on this event were through the roof. If any, <laughs> if any surfer on the male side surfed a wave to the eight point range and they felt that it was, you know, a good wave for them in that heat, they claimed it so hard, almost as an obligatory exclamation point on the end of the wave. And if yeah. almost like, if I don't do this, the judges won't know that it's a great wave. So I got to do this right now from yeah. Gabriel down to the no-name server. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. You know, it's really kind of come down to, I need to let the judges know what I think about that ride. 100%. So that they know that, you know, I'm going to, I could be Sonny Garcia storming up the hip, storming up the judging tower with my fist clenched, you know. Which a part of me appreciates the passion of it, but a part of me is also like, it's undignified. Well, I look at it like this, like if, if you're in an incredible rally in a tennis match, you know, and it's bang, 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 bang. And, and you hit some incredible shot from, you know, whatever, just an incredible, you know, down the line shot. That's just mind blowing. And it's in tennis players give up fist pump and they scream at the eye. They turn to the audience and they go, yeah, you know, and when, when golfers make an insane putt, they just do a huge. And, and, you know, I, I just give think a it's a part... example. <laughs> in pickleball when something exciting happens we pick our nose <laughs> no i you know i just think that most of them are sincere and i just think it's part of sport these days i mean yeah. there's there's you know the the touchdown celebration in the nfl i mean they you know there's no so soc those, soccer guys sliding you, across no, the grass you're now conflating very different things the okay. touchdown one is something that's rehearsed in advance and they're no, but i mean but there are sincere, spontaneous ones. The ones that you explained previously yeah. are sincere. And that's right. my point in surfing is that we need to delineate what those two things are. And everything that we saw in Newcastle was the touchdown dance. It was, and Gabriel, Gabriel shooting a three, like Gabriel, like, oh, and I'd, somebody commented like about, oh, is that his claim that this is going to be his third world title? You know, that's a three pointer. That was incredible. That was definitely planned out. That so one. that's my point is I remember an example uh, there and there's probably been dozen cents, but Kai Otten in Chopu falling out of the sky, landing in the gutter of a wave, like an actual like 10 foot wide, 10 foot tall, 10 foot wide Chopu barrel lands in the gutter. The thing like spits and you're like oh shoot did he just get sucked back into that thing and after the spit he comes out and he's exclaiming for the exact same reason that carissa was which was 
he doesn't even know what happened. He went into autopilot and now he's looking at boats in the channel and he realizes it must be a 10. It was, it was pure exaltation and it was earnest. And what I see somebody who does eight turns to the beach, it's not that same exaltation. They do the eight turns and then they're like, yeah, that's going to do exactly what the judges wanted me to do. Here you go. You know, it's not the same thing. Yeah, I agree. And they're doing it for an extra 0.3 points. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if the judges are giving them that. By the way, it's not autopilot. It's Otten pilot. But, oh, uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Kai Otten pilot. Uh, you know, either way, like the three-point thing, like I, I just think it's part of our culture now, and I, I'm okay with it. Like, and, and by the way, it could end up working against guys. Like the, the example you just gave where there's a guy who does eight turns to the beach and then goes, time for the fist pump. At some point, we're going to kind of go, okay, whatever, guy, you know, easy there, Ace. I'm afraid that (laughs) I'm afraid that we're in this uh, consensual hallucination that is the judges are affected by it. The judges are hallucination. Did you get that from the Prof G podcast? Of course it is. Of course I did. That's an awesome. That's right there with Bliss Ninnies as a great two word combo. It was actually, I. I was going to say something else. And then I realized that that applies. So I, I don't know if you heard me pause before I said it. And I looked at you to see if you would catch it. Um, I love that phrase, consensual hallucination. Anyway, I don't want to Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. So that's, that's all that I mean is like, I think that um, we're at a place where the judges, they like the showmanship of it. And I think that they are. Look, it's uh, good for the sport. I don't know. It's good for the sport. I think the the sincerity is better for the sport. Like, I think not doing that until it's sincere is good for the sport. Well, and I think that the free market of the the capital free market of ideas in these events is going to, that's going to bear out. If you get a guy doing a fist pump after every eight turns to the beach, eventually you, I, and the judges are going to go, dude, come on. And then when a sincere one happens, we're going to go, yes, that, and and that stuff's going to, it's going to all like over time, there's going to be, you know, yeah, a, a leveling of that, you know, it's just going to work its work itself out. But I don't think there should ever be, a, and I don't think you feel this way either, a dampening or a tamping down of whatever it is that guys do after a ride. You yeah. know, um, let them be the judge of when is the right and wrong time to do that, and then we'll be the judge of whether it was the right and wrong time to do that. Well, the great thing about Carissa was there Tears of is. Joy. Yeah, it was like she no... won an Oscar or something. She was like, oh my God, they picked me. And she stormed up to the stairs to get the Oscar. But the great thing about it for me was that it was so Carissa. You oh. know, like there's nobody else that would react that way. And if they did, they probably would tamp it down. And Carissa, it was just like, she's currently the best female surfer in the world. Undeniably, she just did the the most amazing air we've ever seen a female surfer do, not only in competition, but just full stop. And she's more impressed or she's more surprised that she landed it than we are. And that that's a Carissa move. You know what? I you remember how, well, I have, um, I have claimed or named uh, Stephanie Gilmore as Princess Di. Yeah. Well, Carissa to me, who's this, the most probably the sweetest person in the world that we know in the surf world. I mean, she's incredibly just a sweet human being. Would you agree? Yes. So her new nickname is mother Carissa an ode to mother Teresa. I, I'm mother Carissa. It. Yeah. Mother Carissa. We got lady die. She's like mother Teresa, 
You know, you just feel like after her career's over, she's going to go to India and like feed poor people with a smile on her face. She has the more foundation I, or more smiles. I forget what it's called, but she does have some uh, foundation. Good for her. Yeah. Maybe I'll throw a few shackles her way because I'm a big fan of Mother Carissa. I am too. Good job, Scott. You're good yeah. at branding with stuff like that. Yeah, uh, so the, the, the top five as it stands currently, these would be the five vying it out on a single day at Lower Trestles. Uh, Idolo, Gabe, John John, Jordy in fourth, and then an equal fifth is tied between Kanoe Garashi and Ryan Callanan. I'm stoked for Jordy, man. I hope that Jordy does something and stays in the stays in the discussion for when we go to places that um, you know waves of consequence where he can really gash out something incredible, you know, turn wise. Well, that's a conversation too. Is it is the updated tour schedule? Right, exactly. Why don't you lay it's it been- out for us? There's been a shuffling to the dates for some events and also addition, new new locations added to the schedule. Uh, the Jeep Surf Pro in Lemoore, Surf Ranch Pro in Lemoore at the Wave Pool is now going to happen in June, June uh, 25th. Corona Open Mexico presented by Quicksilver at Barra de la Cruz. Uh, a Barra event is back and that's going to happen at the beginning of July. We have the Oi Rio Pro presented by Corona at Sakarama in August. The Outer Known Tahiti Pro at Chopu in August, late August. And then, of course, Finals Day at Trestles on September 8th through the 17th. We have a two-week window or, or a week and a half window for that event. So these new additions, there's four new additions. Or no, they just reshuffled the Lamar event. They've yeah. added Barra and they've basically kind of green-lighted Brazil. And so the real addition here is Barra, right? These others were on yep. there, but they reshuffled them around. Yep. Um, um, Barra could be a good thing for Jordy if it's, you know, intense. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, everybody loves to see Barra added to the schedule. There's no question. That's just... I'm actually not yielded. in favor of it. I, as Why a, not? As a traveling surfer, I don't need the WSL to go down there and just open, oh. you know, put it on people's radar. Hey, I'm a selfish... This is a surfers of the worst moment right here. This is like, it's the fact that they're having Barra means that everybody that goes down to mainland Mexico is going to be affected negatively. <laughs> and I don't know how a, you feel. Uh, how I, do you I know, I don't know justify either. that claim instead of Cloudbreak? The same exact thing could be said about Cloudbreak or Chobu. I don't or ever go to Cloudbreak. Exactly. <laughs> I do go to Barra though. I don't exactly. need the rest of the world remembering it. Well, it's not like Barra is a secret spot. It's <laughs> No, it's just, but but look, for years, like about 10 years ago, maybe, or even less, G-Land was kind of off of everyone's radar. It was like people were going to the Mentawise or they were even going to Neos or... But, you know, people still went to G-Land, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying it kind of like, it's kind of like the tide was out on G-Land, you know, like it wasn't on the radar of where everyone's going, you know, and G-Land's back on everyone's radar. And so as an end user of G-Land, I'm like, ah, where's the place that's kind of dropped off the radar? I'm always looking for that place that's dropped off the radar a little bit, you know, and for a while, Barra dropped off people's radar, plus the sand was shitty. And it was just like, ah, you know, whatever. It's not the same old bar. I mean, quite frankly, that was the day of days. Those those four days that the Rip Curl Search got bar. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, like it was mental sandbars and an insane swell, like south swell of the decade, maybe. 
Just so just as Carissa Moore crying that she landed that air is oh. peak Carissa Moore. That is her being more Carissa Moore than ever. You being upset that the WSL is going to borrow because once every five years you go there is peak Scott Bass. It is selfish and I apologize. It is true that it is a surfers are the worst moment. It's a moment based out of fear. It's completely fear based. It's a fear of missing out. It's a fear of I'm not going to get mine. It's wrong. And, and it's not what I should be all about. And I'm just saying sometimes my character defaults, which is what this is, it's not a character defect. It's a character default kicks in. And I got to step back and realign myself and say a little prayer and kind of go, you know what? Okay, let them, I hope it's pumping. I'm excited that they're going to, and I'm excited that other surfers are now going to go down there and catch these waves. I've already made the adjustment. Awesome. Look at you in real time. So as a podcaster and a fan of watching surfing, yes, it's a great event to have, right? I mean, it's a, it's a great venue for surfers to, for the world's best surfers to be able to perform to their peak. And I'm assuming it'll be really good for the community, the, the Barra de la Cruz community too. I'm sure that they're going to benefit greatly from it. And so I'm glad for that as well. Um, as it relates to, well, Lamore, I kind of hate, I don't love seeing Lamore. I don't either. As a tour stop, but also as leading towards this top five point scenario. Um, I don't either. Really- and you're talking about Jordy. Jordy, I know is the is the um, one who gets affected the most by surf ranch because he's big and it's hard to surf that wave when you're that big. So Jordy could fall out of the top three by virtue of surf ranch being on tour. And I, I suppose he could do well in Mexico. I think that does play to his strengths. Um, Tahiti isn't a great venue for Jordy. I think he has made the semifinals there once, but as a rule, he's not great on his backhand. Do you think that Rio even happens? I hope not. I doubt it. I, I, I mean, I doubt it. They need it. to start looking at another option in August because COVID alone would prevent the WSL from going to Rio. The fact that it's even on the tour, on the schedule at this point still is kind of shocking because yeah, it's a, it's, um, they are not managing the virus well. No, they're not. And that, one, that one's probably not going to happen. That's why why they need to start figuring out venue another venue. I would like to see some event take place for that window. You know, then we could get a full. I think that would be they're going to be two, in three, Mexico. Four, That'd be nine Ju- events. They'll be in Mexico in July, so that leads me to Central and South America would be options that would make sense. You know, they're all down in that general zone, so. You know, and again, I don't know what the COVID situation is in these countries, but I'm thinking maybe there's a Peru event or a Chile event. Um, How about just Puerto Escondido? I love Puerto Escondido. The thing about Puerto is that it's basically blows out at 10 a.m. and you're done for the day. So you get about five hours, four hours in the morning. You could probably run till 11. So you, so you get very small WS- windows. When has the WSL been opposed to running in blown out crappy conditions? Yeah, but legit Puerto. You- <laughs> I know. You know, so the, know. to me, Puerto makes sense when you have five guys. That's why I was saying, hey, what a great place to do the finals. finals. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, all right. Well, um, do you need a bathroom break? I need to go get some more coffee. 
Go for it. We'll go to commercial. Yeah, God, back to the show. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Spit, and David and I are just talking all things Spit. We're just riffing off the top of our head on um, stories of the week. And let's see, I do have an email that came in regarding last week's show, and I'll just real quick read it to you. Is it about albums? No. Oh, okay. Did you get one about albums? Yeah, I did. Okay. I got a few, but go ahead. This one is about... Is it Florence X Marine or how do I, is it Marine X Florence? Florence Marine X. Florence Marine X. Okay. This guy says in an email, evening chaps, thanks as always for the top notch surf chat in reference to episode 202 and your conversation about Florence Marine X, the surf and sailing crossover space. I wonder if there could be a market space opportunity for this brand. I can envision a range of practical goods such as dry bags, UV rashies, windbreakers, appealing to lovers of various water sports. And if the visual language were more subtle or disciplined agnostic like Patagonia, for instance, it could successfully bridge the various water interests. Were Bob, John and Pat and the Hurley or the Kandui team to develop similarly practical and tasteful products as Patagonia, I can see them being popular with a certain audience. I could see me browsing the Florence Marine X range upon launch, even if I'm even if I'm unlikely to do much sailing anytime soon. Anyway, keep up the sterling work. Warm regards, Nat, Danny and Yago from Cornwall. So he basically makes the point that you were making last week that there is an opportunity for this for this. Um, bridging of the uh, water sports sort of categories if done sort of expertly and almost athlete agnostic or sport agnostic. Um, you know, again, you and I speaking about John John's name being in the brand name, that's sort of um, new territory. Who's Yago? That's his dog. Oh, is it? <laughs> is it? Is it Jago? Jago? No, I, don't know. I don't know, but I did want to acknowledge his dog because he said he listened to that and wrote part of the email while he was on his walk with his dog. And so he signed off with his dog. Is it Jago? 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 I, I don't know. Where in the world was he from again? Cornwall. Cornwall, that's right. Cornwall, yeah. Um, so didn't he reference also in a he portion did. of that email, Oxbow? He did. I edited his email for listeners. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he did mention that, which I think was an interesting reference because he's right. That is a comparable. And it's also a brand that was only ever on my periphery. They had a couple of ads in magazines. Laird, I think maybe had been writing for them at a period of yeah. time, but I think that they had a much bigger presence in Europe. Exactly. Yeah. They and they, so, and they are, their USA presence was mostly in Longboard Magazine, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because they sponsored the longboard championship. Yeah. But but that is um, kind of servicing that same demographic that we're talking about here. Um, I've been having conversations with the team over there at Florence Marine X. Uh, they're launching product next week, just FYI. Oh, cool. I actually signed up for their email newsletter this morning. I want to get, I want to know when things are happening. You know, I want to be a supporter. The problem is, I mean, the problem is um, the Long Beach kind of San Pedro, Los yeah. Angeles ports 
are so backed up. If you try to surf anywhere in Orange County, you see cargo ships just spotting the lineup, like actual backed up waiting in line to get in for weeks on end. It's really kind of an amazing thing to see. And so a lot of um, all products that are entering the Los Angeles port are being held up. So I think they're running into a little bit of that and um, it's hard to hit deadlines with that sort of thing, but they're going to launch some stuff next week. So it'll be interesting to see. I haven't seen any of it. I haven't felt or any of it, but it'll be interesting. Uh, let me ask you this reef Hazelwood or Mick Fanning, who's going to go further at the Narrabeen event, Mick, Mick or Morgan Sibillic. Mm. Morgan. If you could throw a few dollars on somebody to advance out of a seating round, um, you know, a first or second place finish and going straight into um, the elimination heats, wouldn't that be a fun thing to do? I guess what I'm getting at is it seems like, so what the Professional Golfing Association, the PGA Tour is doing is they're getting into bed. They're starting to um, unwrap this concept of sports betting and being engaged with it and letting their fans be engaged with it right through the PGA tour uh, distribution points, websites, and social media and so forth. And I think uh, it would obviously mean a lot to the WSL. If they could somehow maximize and create betting exchanges and or partnerships with, you know, the DraftKings of the world, these betting, these USA betting um, uh, part uh, exchanges, I, I, I think it would be fun. And I was doing some research on it. I wanted to bet on, um, uh, Miguel Pupo to get out of his first round heat. He had the best odds. Basically, if I bet five, I was going to make 25. And frankly, I think Miguel Pupo could do pretty good in crappy Narabeen less. I could see that kid blowing up, you know, and that, yeah. so that, that's like, I'm like, that's a good one. But, you know, there was nowhere to do it. I tried to sign up, you know, and they wouldn't let me do it on Ladbrook, which is an Australian betting site. And once I put in my country, they're like, nope, can't do it. There's no betting in your country. But um, I would think that somebody within the WSL uh, structure would be looking into creating, because this is opening up in the USA. Sports betting is, is going to be happening. It's already legal in many, many, many states. And it's just a matter of time here in California before it's allowed. And yeah. um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to the day. And I'm hoping, I guess what I'm saying is, Eric, if you're listening, I know you've got somebody in the field that's exploring this. And let's see this happen. Yeah, I'd like to see it as well. Um, and we totally forgot to mention that, by the way, Mick Fanning is competing at Narrabeen. Right. What are your thoughts on Mick, how well he does there? <laughs> so I think that he could do well there. I think he'll make heats for sure. I don't think he's going to make the quarterfinals or anything like that. But I think he absolutely is a three-time world champ. He's not far off of his game at this point. It's not like he's been retired for 10 years sitting on the sofa He's had two years (laughs) off and he's, yeah, he's got a family now. Like he focused, but he's still surfing. He's still relatively fit. I've seen him surfing very, very sharp on short boards and uh, he hasn't transitioned to the mid length. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that he could absolutely take out the bottom 15 without really much effort. Um, what I think would be super interesting, this is a very far-fetched scenario, but 
What if he does well? What if he makes the semifinals? What if he wins the event? He will absolutely take a wild card into the next event. What if he does well there? What if we find Mick Fanning in a top five scenario going into lowers, winning a fourth world title at lowers? Yeah, that's a Hollywood script right there. I doubt it very greatly, and I know you do too, just because, I mean, he's he's. we talked about it earlier, this, this Elo Gabe, the stuff that they're doing, Mick doesn't have that game. Mick's like, yeah, he can win J-Bay. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But he's not going to win. He's not going to do anything at Narrabeen, I don't think. I mean, he might get to the elimination rounds. He might even get through one more heat. Just imagine three-foot kind of like crappy lefts where he's going to be just doing turn, top turns. Do you ever see Mick Fanning doing a backside aerial? No. No. Yeah. No. It's not going to happen. And so Nairbeen's sort of a weird choice. It's almost like their Rip Crow's like, what should we do? Mick, are you into it? He's like, yeah, why not? I'll, well, I'll give it a rip. That's exactly. You know? That's yeah. exactly what I think it was. It's like, how do we, we need to drum up excitement yeah. for this event. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you this, and- between Parco and Mick Fanning, your two Australian world champions, who do you think would do better like, out of those I two think, guys? I think Mick would. No doubt. Don't you I get the sense that Parko is almost on a mid-length. Like he's <laughs> he's at the pub, he's pulling like schooners of new and it's probably possible. lawn bowling in between sessions at Kira on his 6-6. And good for him. <laughs> he should be. Absolutely. Totally agree with you, by the way. And he might be at Ladbrokes with Aki throwing down a few bets <laughs> on the horses. <laughs> um, well, uh, everybody should be aware tonight, on YouTube at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Rip Curl is premiering a Tom Curran mini film called In the Band. What? So Tom, yeah, Tom Curran uh, went up to San Francisco to play some music gigs and he brought Connor Coffin and Mason Ho with him. So it's a little mini short film uh, documenting their San Francisco trip. This should have been our lead. I know. Tell me about it. Well, you want to see the... This will absolutely make you want to watch it. The opening clip for the trailer is Tom Curran roller skating through San Francisco with his bandana on, his COVID bandana on, (laughs) playing a guitar for people in the street. (laughs) Almost like he's advertising his show that night and he's just going down the street playing guitar for people on roller skates. Goat. Need I say more? This is why he's goat. He's the goat. He really is. And then Mason and Connor just like cracking up. Can't believe their luck that they're hanging with Tom, you know? <laughs> so great. Um, and then last night, uh, Vans on YouTube premiered uh, episode one of a Mikey February piece called Sonic Souvenirs. Did you watch? No. Scott, this is Scott, Scott Bass written all over it. Do you know why it's called Sonic Souvenirs? No. It's almost like they listened to our podcast last week and then went back in time, filmed Sonic Souvenirs, and then forwarded in time forward just to drop it on the week after we released that episode because it's all about music. It's titled Sonic Souvenirs because it's Mikey February talking about... um, traveling to he's from south africa so traveling to other countries around south africa in africa and discovering music and so he'll play a piece of music from this trip 
and then they show him surfing in that region on that trip. So these, it's kind of a, um, uh, partnering trips with the music discovered on the trip, but also infusing different boards. Like this style of wave calls for this type of board. So he's riding a twin fin there or a mid length at the other spot. And it's almost sounds manufactured or, um, I don't know what, but it's not. It's really, really well done. It's really tastefully done. It feels very organic. The music is beautiful. The surfing, of course, is beautiful. Mike February to any music feels like a perfect pairing. So I'm a huge fan. It's Sonic Souvenirs on YouTube, Van's channel. Cool. I'd like to yeah. check it out. And it, it made me realize one of the greatest documentaries that you and I have both suggested to the listeners, which is Searching for Sugarman. Sugar oh, Man? Yeah. 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 The story about an American musician, Rodriguez, who was this huge icon in South Africa in Mikey February's country. And um, that's just a great, great documentary. So if you get a chance, Searching for Sugar Man. Um, Is that what it was called? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It. That's exactly what it's called. Um, phenomenal film. I loved that film. I've got a lot, a lot of thoughts on that film. The filmmaker they won an Oscar for best documentary that year. It was probably 10 years ago. He shot it on an iPhone. Wow. And th this is before iPhones were um, <laughs> commonly used. I mean, yeah. now people make films on iPhones that end up, you know, in theaters, but at that yeah. time that was a real novelty and um, ended up getting purchased. I forget the company that bought it, but somebody bought the film and then they went back and reshot like all the interviews and a bunch of added a bunch of um, illustration, like animation, you know, to fill in the gaps for archival stuff that they didn't have. So the, the end product that you see now isn't all on an iPhone. He did use some of like his original trip to South Africa. They used some of that in the final film, but the idea that a filmmaker with no budget finds this story tra tracks down all of the key players and solves a mystery because there was yeah. a real, a real yeah. international mystery that was happening there yeah. and solves that with an iPhone and no budget. And then is able to sell it. Some big production company buys it, uh, fancies it up, you know, adds higher production quality to it. And then they win an Oscar for it is a yeah. really, really remarkable story. It is. And the story itself is insane, right? It's this idea that insane, like, if, I guess the best way to maybe put it would be, if Bob Dylan was, say, Irish, and we all know Bob Dylan in America is this incredible talent that has changed and transformed our culture here in the United States, but he's from Ireland, and he had no, no significance at all, no hit songs, no, he was not, he was nothing in Ireland, like the Irish were like, whatever. Yeah, and, and he was working construction. Yeah, he's working construction in Ireland. And, and you and I were like, hey, is this Dylan guy still alive? I love whatever happened to that guy, you know? And we go and find out that he's in Ireland working construction. And unbeknownst to him, he's a huge hit here right. in the Americas. And, and because of the blockade, uh, the information blockade due to apartheid in South Africa, they didn't have access. So in South Africa, he was huge. And they just presumed he was huge everywhere in the world. And... Little did they know Rodriguez um, 
presumed that he had never had viable success as a musician. He made two albums that were distributed. It wasn't by Motown, but the guy that ran Motown, Clarence something, was running the record label at the time. And it's a record label that we know, like it's a big record label. So he made those two albums. The album didn't do anything in the US. So Rodriguez just went back to working a construction job where he's been for 30 or 40 years living in poverty. In Detroit. Uh, In Detroit, no less. And when we find him, spoiler alert, we're ruining the entire film now. When they find him in Detroit, he has like a wood burning stove in his home to keep him warm. He doesn't even have central heating or anything like that. But they talk to the construction foreman and they're like, yeah, he would show up in like three piece suits to the construction site. Like he just had it. He's just, he's an artist, you know? And despite making no money for all this time. And and then there's actually a third act to the film that is very heartwarming that we won't spoil, but um, it's a phenomenal story. Yeah. Check it out. Searching for Sugar Man. It's a great documentary. And as David mentioned, Academy Award winner. I love when they interview Clarence, whatever his name is from the record label. And they're like, we talked to the uh, the South African distributor who was making millions of dollars on this and sending them to you in America. What did you do with all that money and how come it never made it to Rodriguez? He's like, what the heck, man? I don't, I don't know my accounting from 30 <laughs> years ago. I can't, I can't, you want me to look up the file? Like, I don't know, those records are gone. I didn't even get them. You know what? They went to somebody else and they're like, well, we have the paperwork here. It went to your name at this address. And we have records that you were at this address. In fact, you were the one that cashed those checks. Where did they go? Oh man, I don't know where those went. (laughs) It's just like, what? Oh, music industry scam. Fully, fully robbed Rodriguez of all of his, his proceeds. By the way, I watched a show, a documentary on Netflix called The Lone Star. And it's about Stevie Ray Vaughan's last years, you know, from like 86 to 90, basically from the time he got sober to the tragic death in 1990. And it's really, I mean, I was just, I was just, I loved that documentary. So if you're a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan, or you just want a good story, uh, check out Lone Star on Netflix, a documentary about Stevie Ray. I'll check it. I um, am always looking for good documentary. And I feel like I've found them all and I'm waiting for new ones every week on all the different streaming platforms. And that one's yeah. under my radar. So I'll definitely check it. Yeah. Give it a good look. Very cool. All right, Scott. Well, uh, you oh, wait. Kooks, anything? I do. I have some stuff. Um, a couple things. I got two new boards being built. Jesus. One get one of them's being built by Jordy's dad, Graham, Graham Smith's what? making me a board. Yeah. How'd you hook that up? Um, they reached out to me. They're like, Hey, no. we want to make your board. <laughs> Yes, no. for God. I love it. I'm gonna have, sponsor I'm gonna have Scott Bass. I'm gonna have G on the boardroom podcast, actually. There you go. And then JT Justin Turnus from Dark Arts is making me a dad bod. So I got two new kind of like trifins coming my way that I'm excited about. And um, I'll let everyone know about how those go. And then Sean Young, the um, one of the main guys at Wave Garden, I did a I did a, a boardroom podcast with him. So if you want the latest updates on what's happening with the surf park world it's a great interview with sean young and you can find that on boardroom show podcast just went live yesterday um great call interviewing graham yeah i'm excited about it very curious yeah so where is he where is he making that board south africa what yeah how are you gonna get it here 
Um, it's going to kind of come here the same way that the Rodriguez money made its way from South. <laughs> now I'm sure he's probably sending a file up here and somebody's ghost shaping it or something. I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. The, the design looks. Well, I know you're not worried about it. I want to educate the listener on how these things happen. Oh yeah. So there's, look, there's a, there's a guy here in America's in the Cal in California that's making, making the, uh, Smith shapes boards. And, um, that's how it's happening. <laughs> Thanks for the thorough education. <laughs> I mean, you can go on smithshapes.com and just check out the designs. I'm getting the fat monk model, which I'm excited about. And, um, and I've fat been monk? talking and, and, and uh, the guy Wesley and G and uh, we've been chatting via email. So it's been good. All right. Awesome. Sweet. Scott, then, well, California gold surf auction only has two days left. That's right. You must be busy to get somewhere this morning, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's eight eight thirty, dude. I got to tell you about my musty moment. Okay, please. Is, is important. It's Kai Lenny with straps on. I already knew. I already knew what it was. And I think that Idolo should wear straps in the Narabeen event for two reasons: to highlight how lame the seating round actually is, and two, to set a new standard for wow factor to blow Gabe's mind with high performance surfing without much risk at all to Idolo's 2021 title campaign and his uh, defense of his title. So for those two reasons, Idolo should strap up in the first round of the Narrabeen event and just absolutely go mental with some layout friggin' like, just like, just some insane, I don't know what the phrase is, some insane layout aerials where it's just mind blowing. Idolo in, in straps via Kai Lenny's Instagram feed. I like, where you took that, but I don't like where it started. Uh, you've lost all your core credibility. If your <laughs> must-see moment is a guy wearing straps in a wave pool in Texas, yes. what has this show become? You know what? I'm all about fun and inclusivity. You know, go to go to straps. bar while you're going to bar to surf. Feel free to go. I want you to enjoy it. You should. You deserve it. Watch the Kai Laney thing while you're on the airplane. It'll blow your mind. What's wrong with straps? Think about it. Straps have been around in windsurfing and toe surfing. Um, I mean, they're basically just wax on steroids, just a way to keep your feet attached. I don't even know who I'm talking to anymore. My only rationale for any of this is that you're trying to smoke screen people, get them away from Barra, send them to <laughs> a wave pool in Texas. That's where all of this is motivated. <laughs> Are you telling me that in, it would blow your mind that in five, if in five years, every surfer on the CT had straps on their board? It's a different, it, it's an entirely different sport. It's not even relatable. What do you mean? The riding waves and doing aerials. Yeah, it's infinitely easier to land something if your feet are strapped in. It's very different than our, what surfing yeah, it's is. Infin infinitely easier to surf with wax on your board than to not have wax on your board. Well, you make a compelling argument. I don't know how I can argue against that. Oh, for I got to get out of here. Okay, I hear you. That's my musty right. moment. We'll pick. We'll pick up this this strap argument next week. We need to. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, look. I'll prepare opening statements. Yeah, you need some. Until next time, everyone. Adios and aloha. Was it a huntsman or a player? That made you pay the cost That now assumes relaxed positions And prostitutes your loss Were you tortured by your own thirst In those pleasures that you seek That made you Tom the Curious 
that makes you James the Week. And you claim you got something going. Something you call unique. But I've seen yourself pretty showing as the tears roll down your cheeks. Soon you know I'll leave you and I'll never look behind. Cause I was born for the purpose that crucifies your mind. So can't convince your mirror as you've always done before. Giving substance to shadows, giving substance evermore. And you assume you got something to offer. Secret shiny in you. But how much of you is repetition? That she didn't whisper to him too. 